Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. I'm going to look at verses 17 down to verse 33 with you. We have these bookmarkers that have been on the, the table. You might want to bring me now just a little bit, Caleb. Thanks, man. You might have seen these. We introduced these probably, I don't know, about five months ago, just encouraging everybody to pray big. And so the B stands for a building for harvest reading to meet in, uh, in addition to this building, obviously, so a new building. And so God has answered that prayer with Fox Theater East, and so that's an answer to prayer. The I was irrational giving or finances to increase, and God is adding to that in our, our budget. We'll talk a little bit more about that tonight. And then also G is growth in numbers of our core group. And so we are climbing closer to 100. So this is, this is praying big, and it's been an answer to prayer to see some of these come to pass. And so we're super excited about that. So Mark chapter 10. Verses 17 down to verse 31. I'm going to talk about giving for greater glory and for greater gain. I want to begin with some questions. If I were to, which I already have one already written out, a check, For $5,000, and I were to give that to you, how would you feel about that? Anybody? How would you feel? Skeptical. How would you feel? $5,000, Brett. $5,000. How would you feel? <laughs> like he owes me. He would feel, how many people would feel good if $5,000 came into your, your, your possession right now with this check? How about if I asked you? to give $5,000 to someone else. How would you feel? Receiving it, you would feel, yes, thank you so much. But giving $5,000 to someone else, how does that really feel inside? We're going to talk about giving and receiving tonight. Giving and receiving. Mark chapter 10 is dealing with this. It's the story of the rich young ruler. I'm going to take you back in, my, in your mind's eye. You're eight years old. It's Christmas morning. You wake up, you go downstairs. Are you thinking more about giving or are you thinking more about receiving? How many people are thinking more about giving at eight years old Christmas morning? How many people are thinking more about receiving Christmas morning? You're eight years old. Raise your hand. How many people would say honestly that you just really love to give? Raise your hand. You really love to give. How many people would raise your hand and say, I'd rather receive, I'd rather get? Nobody wants to raise their hand on that one, right? Because you'd be looked at as selfish, right? Let me give you some, uh, some information, some t- statistics here. The top 15 most elaborate gifts ever given, here's one of them. Would you have wanted to receive this gift? It was actually a cell phone and it was worth $2.4 million. $2.4 million for a cell phone. It was an Australian jeweler named Peter Alliston. How about gift ideas for your wife, guys? You ready? Your wife likes perfume? Here's a gift idea. You can get one, a bottle of this from Clive Christian's Imperial Majesty Collection. It'll just cost you $215,000 for one bottle. All of a sudden you're thinking, wow, I don't know if I want to give that anymore. 
I'd rather go to Kohl's or maybe Marshall's and get something for my wife. $215,000. Giving doesn't come naturally. We're not born wanting to give. It's not a natural thing. Let me give you some more statistics. 17% of all confessing evangelicals regularly tithe. 17%. The average weekly gift that somebody would give a Christian is $17. uh, 37% of Christians don't give anything every week. And only 3 to 5% give to their local church. How about volunteering your time? 25% in the United States. This is all people, not just evangelical Christians, but only 25% of, of people in the United States volunteer their time. Women have a higher rate of giving their time and volunteering their time as, than men do. The average amount of hours an American will volunteer per year, you want to guess how many hours per year that would be? 52 hours a year volunteering their time. That equals what? 52 weeks in a year, an hour a week volunteering. I've titled this, Giving for Greater Glory and Greater Gain. Mark chapter 10, 17 to 31. Let me define glory. It's the manifest presence of the Lord. It's the revelation that we get of who God is. It's, it's looking at him in a majestic way. You, you see his beauty. You see his honor. You want to lift him high. That's the glory of God. The glory of God can descend. The glory of God is your eyes being opened to who he is and how awesome he is. That is the glory of God. The gain would be maturity. It would be maybe impact. It would be influence. You're growing. You're maturing. The blessings of God, the fruit of the Spirit, all of those things would be gain as a result of being a giver. I want to look at three musts of giving for us to really experience all that God has for us in and through it. Number one, write these down. Number one, giving must come from a place of sincerity and sacrifice. Giving must come from a place of sincerity and sacrifice. So we're in Mark chapter 10. Look at verse 17. I want to go down to verse 22. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him, being Jesus, and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lacked one thing. Sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. Verse 22. Jesus, uh, disheartened by the saying, He went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. This is a dramatic conversation with a young, rich ruler probably a Pharisee, and he's having this conversation. He comes to him, and he falls on his face before him. We know that the Pharisees were trying to test Jesus. If you go back up into verse 1 and 2 of chapter 10, it says, And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and the crowds gathered to him again. So he had this crowd. Crowds always gathered around Jesus. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked him some questions. And so here's a young man, probably in this group, probably a Pharisee, comes to Jesus, but he's not coming to test him. He's coming out of respect. He's coming and he kneels down before him and he asks Jesus some questions. The question for us tonight was, would be, 
is he coming to Jesus sincerely for salvation? What do you think the, question, the answer to that question would be? It would be no. No, he's not coming for conversion. He's not coming for his heart to be transformed. He's not coming so that he might be born again. He's coming with an ulterior motive. Is he respectful to, to Jesus as a good teacher? Yes. So he's not trying to test him. He's not like some of the other in the group there, the crowd. So he's not coming in that way. But you'll notice that he didn't receive what the Lord had to say, and so he was sorrowful, verse 22. That's not sorrow unto repentance to life in Christ. That's not sorrowful for his separation from Jesus. It's not sorrowful so that he'll be born again. That's not the kind of sorrow that he's experiencing. Jesus asked him to do something, and he didn't do it. He wouldn't do it. Sell all that you have. This isn't salvation by getting rid of material possessions. It's a test of his sincerity. Is he coming to Christ for Christ or for himself? And so Jesus is seeing if he wants to sacrifice, give up his life, lay down his life. Listen, true giving is going to cost. It's going to cost you. And Jesus is asking this man to give up much. What's he asking him to give up? His life. And that's the same message he gives to all of us through all of time. And that's the first place you want to give, is when you give your life to him. So we're not even talking about the finances or the giving of our, of our tithes. We're talking about our heart. We're talking about a person coming to Christ and saying, you know what, all of these things, this is what this man should have said, all of these things mean nothing to me. I will lay my life down for you, Jesus. Because all of these things meant more to him than Jesus meant to him. He goes away sorrowful. It wasn't a sincere salvation experience that he was looking for. There were too many idols in his heart. He was being controlled by these things. He was unwilling to release the control. And he was willing, unwilling to give up his life. Listen, more glory means revelation. More revelation will come as you give up your life. Haven't you found that to be true? Has anybody ever found that to be true in your Christian growth and maturity? You keep bowing before him. You keep asking God, God, give me a broken and contrite heart. God, help me, Lord, to be a humble man or a humble woman. Help me to be a holy person, a godly person. And you, meet, you keep making those steps one after another. And all of a sudden, you start to see God differently and more fully. And he is beautiful to you and he is awesome to you. Do you find that to be true? You give more of yourself to Christ. You say, Jesus, take my life. Take more of my life. Take all of my life. I don't want to hold on to it anymore. I've been holding on to it. And you release that life. What do you find happens? God becomes greater to you and more personal, more intimate. That's the glory. Well, this man was struggling with that. It's a sad story for him. And he goes away sorrowful and without salvation. He didn't want to do what most pleased Christ. He didn't want to answer or do what he had been asked to do by, uh, from Jesus. And so let's talk about sincerity in giving. We're talking about a pure motive here. Whenever you give anything, do you do it to glorify God? That's the purest motive, to honor God. God, I do this to glorify you. Well, the man said something about himself in verse 20. He said, all these things I have kept. He's talking about the law there. And he says, all these things I have kept from my youth. Do you think he has an accurate view of himself? No. 
He thought his life was fine. Maybe you think your life is fine tonight without Christ. Maybe you think, you know what? I'm just going to hold on to my own life. I'm going to encourage you tonight. Maybe you're here for a specific reason, and maybe that's salvation. Maybe it's your day to bow your knee to Christ and say, you know what, I just can't do this anymore, and I, I want my life to be completely laid down for you, Jesus. Like that song we were singing, I think it was number two, talking about those things and the text and the content of that song. It's so good. Let's lay our lives down for him tonight, afresh and anew. And maybe you're not saved, maybe you're not born again, but tonight would be that night for you. Wouldn't that be spectacular? It would be wonderful. Well, this man goes away from Christ. He doesn't experience salvation. He wasn't willing to give up his life, wasn't willing to give up uh, everything for him, and so he, he left, and, and he left without salvation. How easy it is for us to settle into this place spiritually where you think that you're in control, and we really aren't. Number two, and this is going to flow into it, verses 23 down to verse 27 Number two, giving must come from a place of sovereignty and salvation. It must come from this place of sovereignty and salvation. So the rich young ruler walks away from the crowd. The verse says there, it's in verse, where am I at? He says, looking around. The man walks away from Christ, and there's this crowd. And, and then the, the text says that Jesus looked around. And I asked the question to the text when I was looking at this. Why would Jesus look around? Why is he doing this? So the man moves away from him, and then Jesus isn't talking to anybody. He just looks around at the rest of the crowd. Why is he doing that? Well, he probably thinks there's going to be others like this rich young ruler because there's many people like that. There's many people in our own world that are like this rich young ruler. And so Jesus is looking around, probably looking for other people to some come up to him. Maybe there's going to be a line that's going to form. Possibly he's looking around because others, like the rich young ruler, were watching and listening from a, a distance, and they're wanting to see what Jesus is going to do next, what he's going to say next. And so Jesus is looking into their eyes, and, and, and he looks over at his disciples, and he starts saying some things to them. Look at verse 23. Jesus looked around, and he said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, children, now, it's interesting, so he's talking to these grown men, grown women, and he, he comes down to this level, and he calls them children. Why would he do that? How many people know that we need to come into the kingdom as a child? We need to come in so humbly, and we're like, Jesus, I don't know anything. You know everything. Jesus, I can't control my life. I can't lead my life. I can't guide my own life. I can't provide for me. This is like a child. A child can't do that without the dad or the mom. Well, that's true salvation. Some of us are being called to that. Maybe there's this grown-up here in the crowd, and now Jesus is using this terminology. He says, how children, children, humble yourself. Humble yourself. And he talks about the wealthy people or the rich people, this rich young ruler. He says, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. What a, what a weird, weird comparison here. What's he talking about? Well, we know what camels are. We don't use camels today unless you go to a zoo and you might see a camel. But we don't use camels as they did, and so they're very familiar with camels, how large they are and, and all of that. And he says it would be 
easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Some would say that the eye of a needle is, is a gate that's in the Jerusalem wall. And if a, if a camel got on its knees, it could shuffle right through the gate in the Jerusalem wall. And I don't think that's the, the accurate interpretation. I think really what Jesus is saying here is that it's an impossibility for a person to convert themselves. Let me give you an illustration. I have a needle right here. A needle. There is an eye. It's almost so small I can't even see it. Look at this, brother. Look. Is the, the eye of a needle. We're going to do a little experiment right here. We're going to see if we can put Adam through the eye of a needle. Ready? Let's start with your little toe. Come on, bring it up here. Come on. I mean, think about, come on, Adam, put that right through there. Come on. You know, the rest of his blood, push it through. It's an impossibility. A camel going through the eye of a needle. This is a literal interpretation here. This isn't figurative. This is not we're trying to figure something out where it's like, yeah, it could have been the gate. It could have been the, the camel getting on its knees like they do and shuffling through. No, Jesus is saying something very profound here. Just like it's impossible for me to put Adam through the eye of this needle, it's impossible, not just for a rich person, but for any person to save themselves. It's of God. It's of God. So if you're not a Christian tonight, can you save yourself? No. You can't save yourself. I didn't save myself at 19. God saved me. Anybody else get born again at 19? Same year? No, just me that year, right? Okay. So, whatever year you were born. Born again because it was of God. And so he's giving this amazing, amazing illustration here. Easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly, verse 26, astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Good question. Verse 27 Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is what? What's it say? It's impossible. But not with God. For all things are possible with God. We're talking here about the sovereignty. We're talking here about the sovereignty of salvation. The impossibility for man to save himself. Man couldn't do it. The rich young ruler couldn't do it. He thought he could. He thought he could save himself with his good works and keeping the law since he was a child. We need to understand the doctrine of sovereignty. This is where God rules and he reigns and he is in control. How many people are excited for the doctrine of sovereignty? It doesn't usually get a whole lot of amens and hoots and hollers in the church, but it should because it means that God is on his throne, that God is totally and completely worthy of all the praise that he is El Elyon, God Most High. The sovereignty of God is what saved my wife and I, in a practical sense. Not in conversion, although it did do that, but in a practical sense. Because when we found out we couldn't have kids, and we went through all the fertility, and we were in anguish, and we were like, oh, tears and crying, and all the pain of not being a dad or a mom. It was the sovereignty of God in salvation that delivered us. We were like, yes, we grab it, God, that you are reigning, you're ruling. This didn't take you by surprise. That we're going to be okay. We're just going to believe that you are ruling over our life. If you can grab the sovereignty of salvation, the sovereignty of God that he is ruling over your life, 
has everything to do with your giving. Everything to do. It must come out of this understanding. It's a revealer. It's a revealer of your salvation. Did you know that? Our God is a giver, and if we're not givers, if I'm a Christian and God is a giver, and I'm calling myself a Christian, but I'm a hoarder, that is contrary to the nature of God. And the nature of God in his image is now in me. And I should be a giver. All Christians should be givers. But when it comes to the sovereignty, a lot of times we think the money is mine. Did you know that your money is not yours? This is where everybody shifts, shifts a little bit in their chair when you talk about finances in the church. But we really think that our money is ours. You ever seen those guys? I don't even know if it's fashionable now. Maybe it is. And they have their wallet, like, chained to them. I don't, it's not chained to me, but you ever seen those chains? Anybody know what I'm talking about? The chain, some people have the chain to the, it's like, what is going on with that? I mean, it's like, I guess they don't want anybody to steal it, take it. Some people take that view with God. I'm just going to chain it to me because nobody's going to get my money, not even God. So I figured I'd bring back the chain illustration, right? This is some people, right? I mean, it's not the little chain. It's like the big chain, you know? And they got this thing hooked onto their wallet, and they're thinking, God, you're not going to have my money. Seriously, can you imagine, like, some, or the pocketbook, Right? And you're thinking, well, this chain is big enough and God is not going to be able to get my money because he couldn't possibly break this chain. Do you think God could break this chain? Why do we believe that? God is so sovereign over you and over your money, and if you want to hoard it for yourself and hold on to it, thinking that's your stability, that's your security, he's going to do something to release your grip. He's going to do it. And you're going to think you're, he's mad at you. And then you're going to get mad at him. And you're going to go back and forth. Well, if God, was, he shouldn't be. Why is he doing this? You're going to get mad at him. Why? You're the one that's hoarded it. You're the one that's held on to your life. You're the one that has this chain that you say nobody can have it. Not even God. It's coming. If you hoard your life and you don't learn how to give like God has given, and he's given so much. He will allow something into your life because he loves you, not because he's mad at you or hates you. He loves you. But he loves his glory more. And he is more concerned with his sovereignty than your sovereignty because you aren't in control. We aren't in control. Saved people give time and they give their tithe. That's what they do. We can't save ourselves. It's the point of this section. It's amazing to see what's going on in many people's lives at Harvest. And, and God is doing a stirring in your heart and your life. And you testify to my wife and I, and, and it's about giving. It's surrounding your giving. And it's something that I have not had conversation with you, other than Ben. Ben gave a, ben gave a testimony. You sent it to us, what, about two weeks ago on a text? Because God was doing something in Ben's heart, and his family's heart in the area of giving, and, and he, he wanted to testify, and he sent it, and then I sent it some, to some of the other guys as a, a form of encouragement. 
But that wasn't me going to Ben saying, Ben, you know, you need to wake up and tithe. You know, it wasn't anything like that. The Spirit of God is doing something. And when God is doing something in the area of your giving, you know he's doing something pretty profound. And I don't, I don't know what his giving is. I don't, I, don't, I don't know the details of all of that. It's between him and God. I just think it's cool that God is doing something in so many people's lives here in the area of giving. Because it's more than the giving. It's the heart transformation that's happening. And God is becoming bigger to you and greater to you and more beautiful to you and more personal to you. That's exciting to me and my wife. That's thrilling to see happen. Does anybody else have a testimony? Is God doing something in your life financially? He's showing you something. Anybody else? Just, you don't have to say anything tonight. I just want to say a hand. Is God just specifically doing something in your life financially? It's happening. It's amazing. Number three. Greater glory and greater gain. Number three. Giving must come from a place of sight and submission. Sight and submission. Well, look who talks. Who look, look who speaks up here in verse 28. Who is it? It's Peter. I love Peter. Peter is the disciple with the foot-shaped mouth, right? Because if you study his life throughout the Gospels and Acts, you just see he's putting his foot in his mouth all the time. But here he speaks up. And here he is again. I, I just love that because he's an initiator. He's a leader. He gets it wrong a lot, but that's okay. You get it all wrong sometimes. And Peter began to say to him, See, watch this. <laughs> Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said in verse 29, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. I love that. I love what's going on inside of Peter's life. Peter's a work in progress, and honestly, we're all a work in progress, amen? Nobody's arrived, right? I'm a work in progress. And so isn't Peter, and here you see this, and you see this thing happening inside of him, and he's making this claim, we have left everything and followed you. I don't know if Peter was really seeing completely accurately. I don't know if the clarity of his vision was what it needed to be. I'm, I'm pretty sure it wasn't because we know what happens later in his life and as he denies the Lord and all of that, but he eventually comes around. He had really come to that place of ultimate submission, but he will. You might not have come to ultimate submission maybe in the area of your giving, but you will. You will. God is growing you. He's, he's causing you to see things differently as we see many people at Harvest Reading experiencing this. There are people who are giving they're seeing their life differently, and they're submitting to what God is doing. And I'm sure you're familiar with one of our outreaches is Mary's Shelter. And there was a troop of people, guys and girls, who, who gave up their time, and they gave up their resources. And, and they, they're, this is a shelter for women that are pregnant, that are, are homeless. And so they'll come to Mary's Shelter and be taken care of and all of that. And so we're able to uh, decorate two rooms for them. You might look on our Harvest Reading Facebook page and see some pictures. And so these people are, are giving. They want, they, they want to submit. They're submitting to what the Spirit of God is doing in their life. And, and, and that is it's showing up in all of these tangible ways. And 
We have to always remember that our God is a giving God. John 3.16, do you know that verse? What's it say? Let's say it out loud. For God so loved the world that he what? Can we just do that again? God so loved the world that he, what is it? He gave. It's the nature of God. He's a giving God. J.D. Greer, who's a man I respect, he's pastoring several churches down in the North Carolina area, and he wrote a book called Gaining, to, Gaining by Losing. I just picked it up recently, and he wrote something in the introduction I thought was interesting that I want to quote. Now, this is about church planting, but there's also uh, some truths in here for us that apply, and I want to read a little bit of what J.D. Greer says in his book titled Gaining by Losing. He said, quote, planting, investing, sending, and sacrificing are costly, it hurts. But the trajectory of discipleship is toward giving away, not taking in. As Diedrich Bonhoeffer famously said, quote, when Christ bids a man to follow, he bids him to come and die, end quote. Jesus did not say, come and grow, but come and die. And he showed us what that means by his own example. When Jesus laid down his life on that hill in Jerusalem, he had nothing left. Soldiers gambled for his last remaining possessions on earth. Everything he owned had been either given away or taken from him. But out of that death came our life. In giving everything away, he gained us. Think about that. All right, so he, he, he gives himself. But what does he get back? He gets back the church. The ones that he died for. So he's laying down his life, but he's actually gaining. It's the same principle for us. We die, we give, we gain. We follow the same pattern. He goes on, H.A.D. Greer goes on. Why would it surprise us that the power of God spreads throughout the earth in the same manner? Life for the world comes only through the death of the church. This doesn't mean a dying church. This means the church that says, you know what, God, use Harvest Reading. Do whatever you want with us. It's not our will, it's your will. It's not our life, it's your life through us. That's what he means by this death. He goes on, death is a forfeiture of our personal dreams. Death in our faithful proclamation of the gospel in an increasingly hostile world. Death in sending our precious resources, our best leaders, our best friends. When Christ calls any of us to follow him, whether he is speaking to us as individuals or to our churches and ministries, he bids us come and die. It is not through our success that God saves the world, but through our sacrifice. Isn't that how Jesus saves the world? Saves the world? Sacrifice. It's always sacrifice. It's the same thing. It's so fantastic. He calls us first to the altar, not a platform. Isn't that good? So as Harvest Reading gets ready to go more public, where's the first place we need to go? To the altar. So that we die. We died of selfishness, our glory, our fame, our platform, our recognition. All of that needs to be laid down at the altar and watch what God will do. It'll be supernatural. Just a couple more quotes here from J.D. He says, we live by losing and we gain by giving away. I love that. Gaining isn't about holding on to, but releasing our grip. Remember Jim Elliott, and I've quoted Jim Elliott before. He died in 1956 with four other missionaries in Ecuador. And I remember just 
the, the moment I was reading his journals, I was, and we met his wife, uh, Elizabeth Elliot, and so she said, do you want to look at his Bible and his journals? And she went over to this bookshelf and grabbed it, and, and I was holding it, and I'm looking at it going like, man, this is amazing. This guy was incredible. But they thought he was a fool at first because he, was, he, he wanted to die to himself. And, and these other missionaries were saying, you know what, they had all of these accolades he was like Wheaton, you know, wrestling champion and, and president of his class. And they're thinking, why are you going to go to Ecuador to a bunch of killers? And in his journal, he would write things like, God, help me to release my grip, my grip, my grasp. Help me to release my grasp on everything temporal. And help me to receive the nail of Calvary. I mean, he's writing this stuff. He's only 27, 8 years old. And then a couple of years later, he would be speared to death. And then thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people would be so inspired, and me, one of them, like to live for Jesus like this, because he knew the principle that Jesus was talking about, that if you want your life, you hold on to it, you hoard it, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life, if you give it, not just your time, but your talents, your treasures, everything, you give it then you actually gain it back. But how many Christians go to that place and they stop right there? And they say, no, I can't go any further. How many Christians are missing out? I don't know about you, but I don't want to miss out on any of that. It might not mean a spear in your chest like Jim Elliott got, or a spear in your head like his friend Nate Saint got. It might not mean that might be different for you and for us. But the principle's the same. God is calling our church to give. Financially, for sure. But first, your life. My life. Are you willing to do that tonight? And just say, Jesus, in this last song, Jesus, I just want to give you my life fresh tonight. Right now, at the altar, I'm going to lay it down. If you're battling with the whole tithe thing, and you're struggling with giving in the area of your finances, it's like walking on ice, right? You ever walked on ice? I mean, not ice game, but you just go on the ice with your shoes on, right? You're kind of walking, you're like, whoa, you know? And you're, It's kind of like walking out on ice. For some of you, it's like thin ice. And you're being challenged to come out here and to give financially, and, and it's like you've stepped on into the ice, and you're, you're unstable, you're unsure, and you're scared, and you, you feel like the ice is going to crash underneath you. It's all about trusting the Lord. It's all about trusting him. And some of you are thinking, you know what? God is bringing me to that place. I've got to step out onto that ice. I'm slipping all over the place. I'm feeling a little bit, a little bit unsafe here. But he's going to stabilize you, and he's going to make sure that you're going to make it. So we're talking about sincerity. We're talking about sacrifice, obviously. We're talking about the sovereignty of God that he is in control. We're talking about a revealer, which would be a reveal of our salvation. We are givers because God is a giver. We're talking about being able to see things clearer, and Peter was struggling with that at the beginning, but he would be, he would be in a different place many, many uh, weeks and later, and, and so we're getting there, and submission. I'm going to challenge you tonight. Let's give. And if you give, if you really give, you will gain glory.
You won't be glorified. God will be glorified. But you'll gain a revelation of him. And he'll be more beautiful to you than ever. And you will gain maturity like you've never known before when you become more of a giver of your time and of your talents and all of that. Let's all stand to our feet. God, we pray that you would help us during this song uh, to get to the place in all of our lives. Would you mature us and grow us and stretch us and help us to step out onto the ice. We pray, God, that you would help 